As copywriters, content writers, and writing business owners, it's really easy to talk about copywriting, marketing, and what it takes to succeed in business. It's not just easy, it's actually fun. That's why we've created an entire podcast about it. But to succeed in business, you have to pay attention to the stuff that isn't as much fun, like budgeting, dealing with debt, and finances. And the fact that this stuff isn't as fun to talk about as something like creating a funnel for your clients or what it takes to put together the perfect launch strategy is probably the reason we don't talk about it much on this podcast. But that all changes today. Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Kina Newell. Kina is a financial coach, and she joined us to answer all the questions we had about money, debt, investing, and more. You'll definitely want to listen and think about all the ideas we covered in this episode. Before diving into our interview with Kina, the sponsor for this week's episode, as it often is, is the Copywriter Think Tank. The Think Tank is our mastermind slash coaching program that helps copywriters dive deeper and explore ideas that they didn't think were possible and actually take action on them. We've just added two new coaches to the Think Tank, mindset specialist Linda Perry and systems and team expert Johnny Steller. So members have even more opportunities to get support, to gain new insights, to grow with the help of four different coaches. It's like having a personal board of directors to help you build your business. If you're looking to create a new offer or program or scale your income, work with better clients, launch a book or podcast, build a team or do something else great in your business, the Think Tank is the next step to help you make that happen. Visit copywriterthinktank.com now to learn more. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. All right, let's get to our interview with Kina. I ultimately got into financial coaching because I was really looking at what did I enjoy doing? And one of the things that I really enjoyed was budgeting. And in my own personal story, um, I graduated college and with a lot of student loan debt. And in addition to having student loan debt, I was actually, I joined Teach for America, which anyone who knows anything about teachers, teaching is not like the highest paid position in the world. And at that time, I was making probably like $30,000 a year and trying to figure out how could I actually do something that felt very passion aligned, but also be able to work towards buying a home, saving money and paying down student loan debt. So it was like through my own personal journey of budgeting and figuring out how to buy a house, how to make more money and that progress over, over a decade that got me into the financial coaching space. So as, as you've been coaching Kina and working with people on their own finances, where do you see like the biggest opportunities or the starting point where we need to be thinking more about our finances? I would say really knowing like the purpose of money in your life. I always encourage people to think about when you're 80 years old, like what do you want to have achieved? And I think sometimes people think it's like a silly question, but I don't think that we actually kind of like press pause to think about why are we doing the work that we're doing right now? Like, what is it in service of? Um, and so when you're 80, what does life look like? And then really thinking about, okay, so if I am going to achieve those things, which generally people talk about, you know, wanting to be retired, I have grandkids, I'm able to travel. 
Like, what does that actually mean for where you want to be maybe five years from the current point in time? What does that look like for a year from now? What does it mean six months from now? But really starting to identify, for me, what looked like financial goals. Like maybe it looks like, you know, you want to save a certain amount of money. Maybe it looks like you are thinking about a home buying process. But I think we actually have to start to conceptualize and kind of backwards plan where we desire to be financially so we can decide what we actually want to work on in the here and now. So can we take that to an example level? Like what do if let's say that one of my financial goals is to buy a home or, you know, maybe it's to travel more. Like what should we be thinking about a year out or six months out, three years out? What does that look like? Yeah. So I would say like if just taking travel, for example, and getting kind of granular with that, I hear a lot of people talking about travel, but then when I ask them like, well, how much do you want to spend on travel? They don't actually have a number. And so knowing like how many trips do you want to take? Are you taking three international trips? Are you taking four domestic trips? What's the price of all of those trips? Um, let's say in a year. And if you know that um, each one of those trips is, is going to cost you, let's say $3,000 because you want to take four domestic trips. Well, you know that you are going to need $12,000 annually to actually be able to travel. So where does that show up in your month-to-month budget that you're actually saving $1,000 a month so that you have that $12,000 travel budget? But um, if you're thinking about, I would also say if you're thinking about buying a home, um, the other thing that I tell people to do is like, can you create space in your current budget for thinking about what it looks like to actually be a homeowner. So if you're paying right now $1,200 in rent and you want to buy a house, let's even just say in the next um, two years, and you expect that mortgage to be, let's say you've done some numbers on the internet, you've looked at Zillow and you kind of know, oh, it's probably going to cost me like $1,500 for a mortgage. Are you able to actually save an extra $300 a month comfortably without that, without that impacting other areas of your finances? So it seems like you're you're working backwards, you're reverse engineering the goals and purpose. Can you talk us through what you do with your clients? Maybe this would help us work through it on our own too. Do you start with the vision and then recommend working backwards from there? Is that where we should start? Depends on who you're asking for, right? So specifically, I would say talking about business owners. I think if you're looking at your personal finances, I always tell people with business finances, I actually want you to sit down and like write out what your uh, personal expenses are. Like how much do you actually desire to pay yourself? So um, as a business owner, you should be paying yourself consistently and there's some amount of money that you desire to be paying yourself. But what I actually find with business owners is they give themselves money when their account gets low. What I want all business owners to do is actually pay themselves as though they're an employee. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have an S-corp, but like you pay yourself consistently and you know that on the 15th, I get $1,000. On the 30th, I get $1,000 because maybe it costs me $2,000 in terms of my personal expenses. But I would say first sitting down and thinking about like, what's the paycheck that you actually need to cover your, let's just start with your like minimum household expenses. I generally talk about it with business owners as like bronze, silver, gold. And so your bronze budget might be something that like, I know that all of my lights will still be on. I will have a roof over my head. What does that look like? Then going up a step up from there, especially if we're tying it back to goals and saying, 
You know, do you desire to save more money? Do you desire to travel more? Maybe you want to be able to invest more money in your like solo 401k, or you want to open up a solo 401k or a Roth IRA. What's, what's that look like in your silver budget? And then what does that look like in your gold budget? So kind of having like three tiers. So you're able to think about over time, what does it look like for you to be able to pay yourself? So that's one level of where I start with clients. But then that also informs, I would say, on the business side, like how you can set revenue goals. So you can really think about if I desire to pay myself $5,000 a month, what does that need? I mean, I need to be making in my business annually or, or on average per month so that I can pay myself consistently $5,000 a month. Yeah, these are really good questions to think about, uh, especially when we start talking about paying ourselves, because it's not just as simple as writing a check for $5,000. There's taxes, there's the self-employment taxes that have to be paid and all of that. And so I have a feeling I know, you know, you're going to say it's never too soon to start planning this out. But, you know, if I'm starting out as a copywriter, maybe I don't have that consistent flow of clients yet. Should I still be paying myself a thousand dollars a month, or do I need to make sure that you know the money is going to be there before I commit to that? Or, or maybe you know the number is higher. You know, maybe it should be five thousand dollars a month. Or, or does the does committing to it help me create it, or should I make sure that I have it before I commit? Yeah, I I think you have to know your numbers, right? And knowing where you are currently in your business. I can speak to like where I was when I first started my business. Of course, I couldn't pay myself $1,000 a month because most of my money was going back into my business for like expenses and overhead. What I would say is really important is in the beginning of your business to establish some like financial systems. So even if you are, you end up kind of like, reinvesting money into your business, you are setting up a structure that's going to help you as you continue to make more money. So I use a very like loose kind of profit first structure in my business. And I think about every single dollar that's coming into my business that, you know, it has a job. That dollar is not just for my paycheck. That dollar isn't just for taxes. That dollar isn't just for savings or business expenses. I think about um, every single dollar that comes into my business, I put like 20% into a tax bucket. I put a certain amount into savings, a certain amount into my business expenses, and then a certain amount into a bucket to pay myself. So in the beginning of my business, like the, there was no paying myself that was usually just going back into my business, but it was just getting into that habit. And then at the same time, I had a job that was actually making sure that I was um, paying my my actual like personal expenses because I tracked my business income over time and and was separating it in those buckets what I, what it allowed me to see was when it was going to be appropriate for me to start paying myself even you know I think I started paying myself like $500 a month just so I could feel like I was getting a reward for working and then eventually it also helped me see when I could leave my full-time job and just work for myself and really created space for me to build up like an emergency fund on the business side so I could safely transition to paying myself consistently and not being worried about missing a payday. Could you talk more about that? Because a lot of copywriters we know when they're in that transition, sometimes, I mean, it's scary to leave your job and jump fully into the business, but what else could we think about or do before we make that leap so we feel confident that we can pay ourselves? I know for me, it was more of like a, a gut feeling, but I, that's not always the best way to do it. Yeah. 
for me, it was definitely, I'm a safety girl here. And I wanted to make sure that on my personal finance side, I actually had like three months of personal expenses saved. But then in my business, I also had like three months of a paycheck saved to pay myself. So on my personal side, it was like I had $15,000 in an emergency fund. But then also on the business side, I had $15,000 just in money that I could pay myself that had nothing to do with my expenses. So I had separated that out. And for me, like that was my telltale sign that I could like leave my full-time job because I knew that I had some financial security on both my business side and also on my personal side. As people are leaving full-time jobs, the things that I think that sometimes we don't consider because they may not be as tangible as the paycheck is to also think about what benefits do you have at your job that you may now need to pay for as a business owner. The first one that comes up for me is healthcare, both uh, medical and like looking at dental. And those are two pretty pricey, pricey things, especially uh, if you're someone who has like underlying health conditions and I always tell people before they're like leaving their jobs full time to run numbers and know like how much are you going to have to pay in healthcare per month, especially if you don't have a partner that can then enroll you under their insurance policies and and even start planning for things of that nature because that could easily be another seven or eight hundred dollars a month that you haven't thought about that you now have to assume the cost of that. Another benefit that I don't think that we oftentimes talk about is like. If you have a job where your employer is paying into your 401k or 403b, whatever that looks like, it's even if you can't immediately start saving towards retirement in your business, I still want people to have a plan for it and have it on your radar because I think if you make it a priority, then it'll become something that you will eventually start to pay into over time because you've like put it on your radar that being able to pay yourself for your retirement is a goal. And so when you actually do make, you know, enough money in your business, whatever, enough is a a very arbitrary word to use here, but you'll have money to be able to set aside into a SEP IRA or a solo 401k, whatever vehicle you decide to use. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about investing because, you know, now you're starting to to talk about some of the other things that we can do with our money once we reach that particular plateau. We're paying ourselves, we're hopefully covering things like basic expenses and healthcare, dental, that sort of thing. But now maybe we've got a little bit more money. Where should we start with investing? And what are you know two or three of the kinds of investments that we ought to be thinking about? Yeah. So personally, I, I'm a financial coach. So I actually work with an advisor, a financial advisor that manages all of my investments. And so I can tell you from my personal conversation here, because I don't do investments, is that um, the first thing I decided to do was to actually set up a SEP IRA with my advisor. And so um, a SEP IRA allowed me to put in a certain percentage of my business income Um, a percentage of the amount of the money that I pay myself and I could prioritize that. As a business owner, what it looked like for me was, I want to say I pay myself about 30 to 40% of what I bring in every single month. But then of that 30 to 40%, the commitment that I made myself was to make sure that 15% of that went into my SEP IRA. Then after you do a SEP IRA, another thing that you may want to consider is doing a solo 401k. And so a solo 401k can help you actually 
contribute more money because as a, what you get to take advantage of is that you can contribute up to like on the personal side, there's a, there's an annual max that you are probably familiar with at your job where I think this year it's $20,500. But then also on the employee employer side, you can contribute a certain amount of money. So it might actually allow you, especially if you're not paying yourself that much in terms of like profitability, it might actually allow you to put more into retirement than a SEP IRA might. And then I would say third, you can also look at if neither one of those options kind of sit well with you right now, both of those options give you some tax advantages there that I should say are like pre-tax advantage. Another option that you may want to partake in is doing a Roth IRA as well. But definitely for me, my personal strategy is to work with a financial advisor to kind of forecast like where do I want to be when I want to retire and what are the investment vehicles that are going to be best for me to take advantage of. But I know with my advisor, one of the things we actually talked about in the very beginning, she's like, you know, if if a Roth IRA makes more sense for you right now, because you don't feel like you're going to be able to put that much money into one of the other investment vehicles, we could just start there. But I would just say, like, start having that conversation with an advisor that maybe you have a relationship with and that you trust. How do you look at the other investments back in your business? How do you view and make those decisions around, okay, should I invest in working with a coach or taking this course to grow my business? How do you approach all of that? One of the things I tell people to do is to make like a hell no and a hell yes investment list first. So really thinking about, you know, let's think about the last six months to last 12 months in your business. Like, where would you, when you think about the investments you've made, what are your hell yes investments? Like you would hands down invest in, you know, that one-to-one coach again. Maybe your hell no investment is like, oh my goodness. I know for me, it was realizing that I bought like a Pinterest program because I was sure that Pinterest was going to be the thing that helped (laughs) my business like skyrocket. Um, But kind of knowing one, I would say like your investment style. And the reason I say that is because, I think mindset has a lot to do with it. Uh, Oftentimes, what I have found for myself and for my clients is that we choose to invest in stuff out of like um, lack and scarcity. So sometimes when we're feeling really graspy, like things aren't working in our business, maybe there's a dip in revenue. And so then you start going to like, oh my goodness, maybe if I just like hired this copywriter or if I hired someone to do my social media or whatever it is, like that would be the thing that would take, like make my business take off. And so it's not actually, you're not looking at it from a a productivity standpoint, maybe, or something. And like, if I hired a copywriter that would, you know, outsource two or three hours of work for me a week. And so now with that two to three hours of work, I would actually be able to focus on in another area of my business that would allow me to generate more revenue. I always pay attention, like I said, to mindset because you could do the same action, but you can have a different thought driving the action that then impacts your your investment style. In terms of like an actual, hey, I want the tangible, like how do I make sure that I have money to make this investment? There are like two suggestions that I have there. You may decide like, hey, 10% of everything that comes into my business, I'm going to put it into a bank account that I just call investment so that when I want to make an investment in my business, I have that money ready to go. Or if you already know that, you know, within the next six months or within the next year, maybe I want to do a website refresh or um, I know I want to invest in that coach and I know exactly how much the coach is, then you can work that into your overall budget. So you're putting money aside each month so you'll have the money to invest with that. 
particular person or it doesn't even have to be a person person. It could be a, a program or a software, whatever that may look like for you. So Kino, we haven't talked about debt and I know this is something that a lot of people are struggling with. You know, we've talked with copywriters who have, you know, as much as six figures in student debt, you know, or others who are paying more on their student debt than they are say on their, uh, you know, housing or other stuff. Obviously, you know, we want to pay down debt as quickly as we can, but can we talk a little bit about that and where debt should fit as a priority in, you know, money and investing? Does debt need to be paid off before we invest? Like, how do we balance that? I think it's a both and, because um, if you're not investing, you are potentially leaving money on the table because of compound interest. Uh, and really, I mean, like, I also don't want to say that there's no like blanket approach here. I think something like student loans, generally speaking, you have a lower interest rate. So like, do you need to prioritize them? I know for myself, when I had student loan debt, I just considered like, hey, me and Sally Mae, we're going to be in a relationship for however long we're in a relationship. So I'm just going to make a little bit more money so she can be paid and I don't have to like kind of think about her. Doesn't have to take up mental space. And that was that was my approach. <laughs> um, and then I think, in ter- like I said, in terms of like investing and, and paying off debt, which to which to do first, I always encourage people to have a both and approach. Like I'm thinking about if you have consumer debt, for instance, on the personal side, if you're not, if you're just aggressively paying down debt, but you're not actually saving money, what can happen is that you may not have identified the reason that you're in debt. And one of the reasons you may be in debt because you don't have any savings. So if your car breaks down, you can't actually fix your car because you don't have any money in savings. So that's where I would say like, Having an auto maintenance fund makes a lot of sense, even if you're putting $50 a month into it, because if something happens to your car, you're going to have money that you can pull from that allows you to get your car fixed without adding to your overall like credit card debt. And just like thinking really thoughtfully about that on the personal side. I also think that on the business side, people also have debt. And I know I've used credit cards in my business to pay for coaching. I'm very like, mindful of what I'm doing if I'm using credit card debt and really making sure that I'm aware of like, what is that? What is the return on investment that I'm expecting? And like, do I know my cash flow and, and profitability in terms of like when I'm expecting to pay that debt off? I don't have a really big mantra that like debt is bad. I think that in the world, there's wealthy people that actually use debt a lot to acquire other things. So it's really thinking about how are you managing your debt, but then also like how are you preparing yourself in terms of saving so you're not getting into more debt. I feel like there are a lot of stories we tell ourselves around money. And so, you know, I feel like we each have that story. And for some, it could be, you know, I'm really great at making money, but I'm not great at managing it, or I'm great at making it, but I can't save it. If we're caught up in a story how would you work through that? Or how do you help your clients when you find out they're really caught up in this story and this loop and they can't get out of it? Even if you can give them all the tools in the world, they're stuck. Yeah. I want to know like, what are the facts, right? Like I used to be a math teacher when I was a teacher and I used to tell people, my kids, those are the people, you're not allowed to say that you're not good at math. You would never tell anyone you couldn't read. And more so like just kind of thinking about like, what is that, like, where does that story come from? Right. And being able to insert like a new thought, like I'm learning how to manage my money, being able to put that at the forefront, I think is going to help everything shift so that when you're looking for evidence of 
managing your money, you're going to start looking for the evidence that aligns with the thought, I'm learning how to manage my money versus looking for the evidence that aligns with, I'm not good with managing my money. Is that always the approach? I, I think about another money story that I hear a lot of people tell themselves, and that is that work is supposed to be hard. And therefore, if something's easy, I can't charge very much money for it. Again, is this a, a thing where it's like, okay, we need to look for the facts? Or, or can we just simply say to some of these beliefs, they're just not true, and we need to get past them? I, I mean, definitely to that, to, right? Like, I think for that, that belief specifically is when I'm working with clients, I'm also helping them see the purpose of money in their life. And so I've had that story of like, I shouldn't charge a lot of money for that, but it's being able to identify like, what is the root of that thought? And when you think about like, you know, even earlier when I was talking about thinking how much you want to pay yourself. And so what does that mean in terms of like how much money your business needs to create and generate when you start looking at the facts of, okay, if you want to charge people hundred dollars for something that takes you five hours to do, how many people are you going to have to work with to actually pay yourself, let's say $60,000 a year? Because the facts are that you would want to make $120,000 minimum in your business. And so do you actually want to work with that many people to create and generate $120,000? So really just helping, I think, people break down what that, like, what does it actually mean to not charge people a lot of money? What's the value, like being able to really just break down the value of like, what's a dollar in your life? What does that actually mean? And, and being able, I think it's, it still is going to the facts, but it's being able to like play around with people's thoughts and helping them think about like what could also be true. Is there anything else we could do if we know we want to start charging more and kind of, you know, reach that next level in our business? Are there any other exercises we could walk through to help us get to that point where we feel comfortable throwing out, you know, a higher rate for our services? Yeah, I would say like, listen to what your clients are saying about the great work that you do. Listen for the value that you're bringing and really sell yourself on why your services are worth more. And, and think about like, right, like what happens if you doubled your prices where they currently are in their business? Like what would, would you be able to work with like your top clients instead of maybe having to choose from all the clients, but just really being able to play with, with numbers for yourself? First of all, Kina may be the first person that I've ever met or heard say that she actually enjoyed budgeting. And that's something that I cannot relate to at all. I don't like thinking about budgeting or the limits or the categories, that kind of stuff. It just, maybe it's the the literal side or the, the non-creative aspects of it. And so bringing in someone like Kina onto the podcast to talk about this stuff is pretty valuable in just forcing me to think differently about budgets, money, finances, and all of that. So just, you know, I'm, I'm glad she's here and I'm glad that she's able to help us with so many of these questions. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Thank you, Keena, for helping us because this is an area I, I, I struggle in. And so there was actually, there were a lot of mindset shifts um, in this conversation with Keena that I was grateful for and just rethinking the stories. I mean, we talk about this often on the podcast, like all, all the stories we're telling ourselves um, as business owners um, about being the copywriters. And oftentimes those stories are so negative and we're our worst critic. And that shows up around money. Anytime we talk about money, that shows up for me. 
And so um, I think just talking to Kina about that was a good reminder to me to start to catch some of those stories I'm telling myself, even in a similar way to just talking about what you're good at, what you're bad at, like, oh, I'm just someone who's bad at math. Well, that's also not a true statement. So let's talk about facts. And is there a different way you could look at it and say, I'm someone who's practicing and trying to get better at math or money management. Um, And so I guess I was surprised that there were so many money mindset shifts for me in this conversation. Yeah. As you talk about that too, I think it's important to realize that this is a skill and like any skill, it can be developed, but in order to build a skill, we've got to practice it. And that means starting at the beginning, that means sitting down and struggling, sometimes failing, learning from those failures, picking it back up. And so, you know, as I think through some of the stuff, my approaches to money, the way that, you know, we budget in our business, it's something that we can get better at but that you don't get better at it unless you practice, unless you jump in, unless you start to figure it out. And so wherever we are in our businesses, when it comes to budgets, finances, investing, trying to create that cushion for ourselves or that future that we envision for ourselves, it it takes time, it takes effort, and it's not something that anybody is good at at first. And so, yeah, that there's a lot of things that we, um, can and should be doing in order to make sure that the future is a lot rosier for us and that we're not always struggling for money or trying to struggle with a budget. And when I say us, I'm talking about us as copywriters in the world of copywriters, where so many of us do struggle with this stuff. And Rob, what has helped you the most? I mean, outside of this conversation, what has helped you practice this skill set? Because this is something that you've managed well in our, our, our business together. Are there any practices that have helped you increase your, your skill set and feel more confident in this area of the business. Yeah, see, I would say I I don't think that I'm very good at this. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we've we've had to track, you know, income and and you know, plan around, you know, as we've brought in team members, just like Kina recommends, you know, make sure that those things are in place as you start to grow your team. That kind of stuff's like we're forced to do that stuff, but I don't know that I'm all that great at it, uh, especially when we talk about projecting it onto the future, figuring out, okay, where are we going to be six months from now or a year from now? And so, yeah, I mean, I went to school, took some classes in finance as part of my MBA. So I have a little bit of that background, but I think I could use just as much practice as anybody else who's maybe just starting out. Okay. That makes me feel a lot better because um, I'm the same way. Yeah. But, well, we're in the same boat. This is why we have coaches like Kina and who are great in this area and who can help us. But let's jump into a couple takeaways. So for me, um, I really like the way that Kina talked about the early stage in business and investing in your business structure so that um, the investments you make early on can help you uh, see that ROI and feel that ROI you know, two years into business, five years into business. And so really focusing on structures, systems uh, for your business that won't disappear overnight and will have that long-term benefit. Yeah, I agree. In fact, even taking it a step, you know, back from that, just the way she started and saying, hey, when you start thinking about your finances, you need to start with your purpose. What is the life that you're trying to create into the future? And what are the goals that you have for the money in your life? And looking 
backwards before we look forward. So knowing where we are now, where we've been, and then reframing that and trying to figure out, okay, what is the system that's going to help me travel more or help me buy that house or help me pay off my debts or whatever those kinds of things are. And so starting with that purpose, the why is always a great place to go. And usually that's not at least my approach to money, I'm not starting out with the purpose and the goals. I'm thinking, oh, well, I've got to get paid or, you know, we've got some money in the bank. What should we invest it in? What should we be spending it on? What can we be doing differently? And I I think it's just really smart to take that step back and saying, okay, what exactly are we trying to build uh, with the businesses that we're creating? Or what exactly am I trying to accomplish with the fact that I'm working and it's producing some income? What am I doing with that income in order to you know, have an impact in life? And, and maybe it's you know around my family. Maybe there are causes that I want to invest in and make happen. Maybe there are other things that people are doing. And starting with purpose and the goals is is a great place to be. And then, like you said, having that system, whatever that system is, I know uh, Kina said that she uses a loose profit first. There's you know resources like you need a budget. There are all kinds of these systems that can help you pay off debt, help you start thinking differently about money, and just having a system that you're using, whether it's loose or tight, whatever that fit is, in order to accomplish those goals and reach that purpose, I think is is critical. Kina also mentioned, um, think when you're thinking about making investments in your business, having a hell no or a hell yes approach to making those decisions on what to invest in. And I, I resonate with that. Um, I think it's always a good reminder just with any decisions we make in life, like, is this a hell yes? Or is it not quite there? And oftentimes it's not quite there. Um, And to bring that into our thought process when we're evaluating different investments we can make in our business um, to, to really figure out if it's, if it meets that criteria or not, and to um, not necessarily jump into anything until it is a hell yes. So that stood out to me. And also the note Kina made about not investing out of scarcity. And I'm, I've done this before. It's like, there's a problem, things are blowing up um, and you just want to throw money at the problem to fix it. Um, and that, that never works out well. And so I like that approach of just uh, working through and we all we can all feel that scarcity at different times but maybe working through it before making the big investment and making sure that you've already worked through that scarcity mindset so that um, you aren't throwing money at the wrong investment and the wrong problem yeah I also like when she started recommending some of the things that we can do if we're talking with the financial advisor or the different investments that we can make. And she mentioned a few things specifically. She mentioned a SEP IRA. She mentioned a Roth IRA, the solo 401k. And there we, we're not experts on this. And so, you know, we, we can talk about what they may do, but there's some really interesting things that happen with particularly with the 401k. So if you're working for a company, there's a limit in how much you can put into your 401k total you know, between you and the company. And it's something like $20,000 a year, which feels like a pretty significant amount. But if you own a business, that amount is actually, uh, I think this year it's like over $60,000 between the investment that your business can make and you personally putting into an IRA or sorry, into a 401k. And if you have a spouse or a partner that's part of the business, there's an additional $20,000 that you can put into these kinds of resources. And so if you have a business that's generating that kind of income so that you have 
that money and maybe it's going you know into other things, maybe you're spending it or whatever, you can actually start channeling that into some investments that can grow really quickly. I mean, being able to invest between you know fifty and eighty thousand dollars a year into a four hundred one k that then either grows tax free if it's a Roth or um, you know just grows and normal four hundred one k is. I mean, it only takes a few years to have a pretty good uh, account and and get a really good start on your savings towards retirement. And so I know those are really big numbers and a lot of copywriters aren't there yet. A lot of us aren't there in our businesses, but there's no reason that we can't be. And it's smart to be thinking, okay, as my business approaches six figures or as I start to work with higher paying clients, I can take more of that money and invest it into my future. And you know, someday we won't all be writing copy and we'll want to draw on those accounts. And so I'm, I appreciated that she was mentioning some of that and not just talking about budgets and debt, but where the possibilities are for our future. Yeah. And, and if you're listening and you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, by thinking through, oh, do I need an IRA? Do I need this? You know, 401k? It's, it can be overwhelming. Um, so stick with us because in the next part of the conversation, we start to break it down and Kina breaks it down for us. So it feels more achievable and we break it down into baby steps. So I'm all about the baby steps. And so we do, we do get there soon. Um, but I think my last note is just that even, you know, sitting through the conversation and talking to Kina and then listening to it again um, and talking through it with you, Rob, it's just a good reminder to me that we need to have more conversations like this, where we get in the weeds and talk about, 401ks and talk about debt and talk about all these huge parts of our businesses that aren't always as sexy. Um, and, and these, this part of the business triggers our money stories, which we've already talked about. It triggers, uh, the imposter complex and it triggers so many insecurities. And so it's easy to run away from it. But I think even on our podcast, it would be helpful to have more and more of these conversations. So it starts to feel more natural to talk about it. I agree. My last takeaway from this first half of the interview is just Kina's approach to debt. So many financial advisors are all about paying off the debt, getting, you know, building that debt snowball or that debt payment snowball and paying off the cards. I really appreciated that she actually took a step back and said, well, there are some times when debt actually benefits us and that we can use it to grow. And so, she, she certainly didn't say, you know, hold on to debt that you don't need or let it hold you back, but just understanding debt, its role in our lives, whether, you know, we should be paying back debt or whether we could be using that money and should be saving instead so that we've got an emergency fund. I really appreciate that approach. It's way more flexible than a lot of people who uh, talk about this. And it's something that just made me think, okay, yeah, we definitely want to think about it. We want to, you know, pay it off, be smart about it, pay it off when needed, but also it's not always the first priority. Sometimes there are other things that we need to be investing in. All right. Well, let's get back to our interview with Kina to hear her thoughts about cutting expenses versus earning more money. And we get into some actionable steps you can take in your own business. Kina, I am curious, you know, when somebody comes to you to be coached, you know, maybe they, you know, need to get out of debt or they want to invest more. There, I'm sure, are a myriad of reasons why. How often is the solution cutting versus earning more? I guess, you know, it's like, okay, I'm in the situation that I'm in probably because I don't have enough for what I, you know, what I think I need to be spending on or whatever. So, 
obviously, you know, doubling my income could solve some of those problems, maybe. But how, how do you balance that? I would say, generally speaking, it's a it's a both and because I think we can talk about all the things you can cut, or I think we can talk about the ways that you can create money. And so, first, like with my approach, it's just meeting people where they are and seeing like what actually is happening. I would say naturally, just kind of how I lead and walk clients through, we're able to see whether we're looking at personal expenses or even business expenses, like, do you actually realize what you're paying for? I think people sometimes don't know the things that they've said yes to. And so naturally, there are things that you're like, oh, I don't want to keep this. I want to cancel it. One of the exercises I do is like going through your expenses and deciding what do you want to keep? What do you want to cancel? And what do you want to revisit? So I would say like, that's one side. And then um, being able to also look at like, if we see that you um, are maybe overspending, then being able to identify like, what is the financial gap? How much more would you need to be making in order to fill this gap for where you actually desire to be? What changes, if anything changes, when you start to think about growing a team and you start adding these team members, you know, whether they're part-time contractors or not, is there anything new that we need to factor in when we think about that type of growth? I mean, I would say making sure that you can pay them. Once again, going back to looking at your business expenses, if you are looking to bring on a VA or, you know, some a podcast editor, whatever that is, and you know that that's going to be a thousand dollar a month expense or five hundred dollar a month expense, can you start actually paying yourself like that or saving that amount of money every single month? So you know that it's an expense that you can afford. As you start to think about bringing on employees, especially as you're building more of a team and not really just thinking about being a solopreneur, also thinking about are there benefits that you want to offer the people that are working for you? And and with that usually comes more financial responsibility and just being able to make sure that you're monitoring your cash flow so that you know that you know, even in slow months of business, I'm still able to pay my team, whether that's three months or six months or nine months, just really being able to know your financials, know your numbers in a way that you're able to forecast that out and and not just solely looking at your numbers as what can this money do for me this month. So one of the things I love about your story, Kina, is the concept of the money dates that you talk about. I'm curious if you could walk us through that idea where you're, you're basically having a date with your with your money self, right? Like what share that story and maybe help us make that idea work for us. Yeah, I think like having a money date is really about understanding that you want a proactive relationship with your finances, uh business or personal and committing to I I tell business owners like whether you want to have a, a money Monday or a financial Friday being able to dedicate that time to look at your QuickBooks and make sure that you're updating QuickBooks or whatever accounting software you have, looking at outstanding invoices or being able to keep track of clients that you know are coming in the next couple weeks or months and, and being able to kind of update. Like I know for my business, I keep a spreadsheet of like clients that, that I'm forecasting out or like clients that I know are going to be paying me. And that helps me just have a pulse on what is my kind of like average actual versus projected uh, revenue for a specific month. But even I can look at quarters there. 
another thing that I encourage people to do on money dates, uh, I personally have shared with you guys that I have a loose profit first structure in my business. And so I would say twice a month, I try not to do it every week just for the QuickBooks purpose and like reconciling my accounts. But any revenue that's come in, I make sure that I allocate it to different buckets for taxes. I allocate for savings. I allocate for expenses and owner's pay. And just really making sure that I have a pulse on like, what is the money in my account for? And being able to also, you know, set other revenue goals maybe for the next month or even looking like the next quarter out. For someone who listening to you speak about this, it's it's not new, but they haven't focused on it. They're not having the money dates. What are some initial steps, just like the baby steps to help them? Of course, they could work with someone like you and that would that would help dramatically. But if they're not quite ready for that, you know, is it just sitting down and just like opening up, opening up fresh books, opening up the accounts? Um, how could they inch towards the dream for a financial management? Yeah, I think thinking about like, what's one thing you want to achieve in the next like 30 days, like make it doable for you. I think oftentimes we come from an all or nothing approach where you know, if we're going to sit down with our numbers, it needs to be this two or three hour extravaganza, which I don't subscribe to because that sounds really overwhelming. And it's the reason you haven't gotten started. But really thinking about how can I use 10 minutes today to get me closer to my goal. So maybe I would say for some business owners, it's as simple as separating their personal and business finances. And maybe your goal in the next 30 days is to make sure that you have business accounts open for yourself. Maybe in the next 30 days, it's to make sure that you are paying yourself consistently. So maybe you're going to you know, set up a, an auto transfer from your business account to happen on the 15th and the 13th that simulates a paycheck to your personal side. So really just thinking for you, what's like a, a milestone that you desire to hit and how can you set a goal to do something in the next 30 days and be able to work on that in you know, 10 to 15 minutes a week. Do you recommend that we create and live on a budget? And if so, how strict should that budget be? I do support budgeting. I don't know that I would say like, I don't know what what you actually mean by like, how strict should the budget be? The reason I ask is uh, I have struggled with this. Mm -hmm. um, And I think probably a lot of businesses struggle with this too. You know, if you sit down and say, okay, we have you know, $500 for food and $100 for automotive or, you know, this much for a house payment, whatever. And then when things come up, suddenly, you know, there's not enough in one budget category and, you know, enough of those exceptions start to happen and the budget kind of falls apart. And, you know, to restart, you kind of feel like you're starting over. So I'm curious, you know, your approach and how you make that work, not just from a personal standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, because in business, you know, expenses are coming up. They're always changing, especially a business like ours. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious how you make that work, you know, again, with a, a tight budget, if, if that is how you would define it or if it has to be loose. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to use either one of those words because I dislike them. Um, and I feel like that's the reason people don't want to budget. Totally fair. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's why I'm so bad at it. Right. <laughs> But I actually just recorded a podcast on my podcast about this, which was like managing the secret is to manage your budget proactively. So like, yes, set a budget, right? Think about what's true, but also understand that your budget and I call it spending plan because it's really a plan for how you want to spend your money. But your your spending plan is going to be flexible. It's a living document. And of course, things are going to come up because you're an adult. And apparently that's what we subscribed to. And so 
when I talk about being proactive, let's say you said you wanted to spend $500 this month on groceries. If I went to the grocery store and, you know, I've spent $200 this week, like how are you accounting for the fact that you've spent $200 and technically speaking, you have $300 left, right? But just it's being able to monitor your spending habits because sometimes the conversation is just about being aware. If you're aware throughout the month, then you can say, oh, well, you know, this week, let me actually make sure I eat all the groceries that are in my refrigerator. Because I would find, even with myself, sometimes I go to the grocery store, I'm hungry and I've bought a lot of food, but then I'm wasting the food. So it's me having this awareness of my spending habits, my like patterns, and and realizing that that that's going to support me and hopefully being in closer alignment with my budget. If I'm going over the budget, there's a couple of things that I would tell anyone to consider. One, is your budget realistic? Because um, I have a client, I want to say she put like $250 for groceries and I looked at her and I was like, you know, that's not realistic. Not because I'm like <laughs> negative Nancy, but like, let's just be honest, you know, like groceries are expensive. We both live in the DC area. That's just not, I mean, I don't know what you're eating. <laughs> and so she wanted to try it out. So she tried it out for, you know, a couple of weeks. And so what I'm telling her to pay attention to is like, look, it looks like, okay, you're spending $80 here. You're going back, you're spending another $30 here. So sometimes it's a matter of like not living on a strict budget, but more so the fact that we need to come back and realign so that numbers actually make sense. And you might have another another category where you're like, oh, you know, I did overspend my grocery budget, but I'm going to take it out of some other area of, a, of an expense that I'm like not actually using right now. And I also know that it's not going to impact something later on down the road. So I just, I want everybody to hear that like budgets can be flexible. And like when you're proactively managing your money, you're going to also see like what your patterns are, where you want to adjust and be able to have a budget that ultimately I would say like brings you joy and that you feel really confident with. And then on the business side, like I still have a budget on my business side as well, because I want to like, especially as business owners, I think there's so many $10 subscriptions you sign up for that like you think you ultimately need, but you don't, or you forgot you, you know, paid for Trello or Asana and you're not using that anymore because you moved to ClickUp or whatever that kind of looks like for you. So being able to have a budget, being able to look at your bank statements, your credit card statements in your, in your business is going to allow you to see where your money is going. Kind of account for not only monthly expenses, but also thinking about, you know, you have a show at website or, you know, whoever, Wix, Square, they, they host your website. How much are you spending annually with them? You have something like Dubstato. How much is that annually? So you can really start to be more in control and be more planned. I feel like I need to go through all of my subscriptions after this conversation so I can cancel all the ones I'm not using and currently spending money on. Yeah, because like you're like, oh, it's ten dollars, and like no, ten dollars is not going to like make or break you. But but it's being like, it's what I was saying earlier about Rob. You asked me something about do I make people like you know spend less money? But at the end of the yeah. day, you're saying I'm not using this. So if you're not using it, just cancel it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So how do you recommend we approach? money conversations. You know, it could be for people who aren't as comfortable talking about money and they're just getting into this space, talking about it with their partner, you know, their life partner or talking about it. I mean, in our case, we're Rob and I are business partners for the two of us to talk about it. 
Do you have any best practices that you recommend when it goes beyond the individual and becomes a bigger conversation? I mean, I can tell you like with partners that I work with, because I partners on the personal finance side, when people are like talking about money, I think the exercise of like, hey, where do you want to be when you're 80? Or where do you want to be in five years from now, a year from now, six months? I think that that leverages the playing field. Oftentimes we talk about money when we're frustrated. And so money becomes like the thing that you only talk about when we don't have enough. But really being able to talk about it from a space where you're dreaming seems to like, what is it? Uh, Break the ice. And so knowing that, that we have like, there are like shared goals and we have a shared vision. So now you're able to say like, oh, you have a goal of paying out off your credit card debt. How can I support you with that? Or like, we have a goal to travel more. How can we support each other with that? So we're having a different type of money conversation than, oh my goodness, you spent this much money. And I would say the same is true even on the business side, right? It's like thinking about what are the goals and what are the milestones that we want to hit within you know, a three-year time frame, a one-year time frame, a six-month time frame. So what do we need to check in on? And when we think about our financials, where do we want to be able to hold each other like not even accountable. I'm, I'm careful with my words, but um, I think accountability is in there, but just being able to let that other person know that you're there to support them. What about tools, Kina? I know there are probably as many tools as there are ideas about investing and budgeting and all of that, but what tools do you recommend we use to do some of this stuff? Yeah, I just use Google Sheets, but I would say if I had to recommend like an app or a program that people want to use, You Need a Budget or YNAB, I think is probably the only one that I'd really recommend in terms of like having a budget. And the reason in it, you can use them on your business side or your personal side even. But the reason I like their platform is because I believe in like a zero-based budgeting approach. So being able to account and give every single dollar a name. So it's not just helping you track your expenses and how much money went out, but so you can kind of see in real time you know, I have $4,000 in my account, but I can tell you exactly what that $4,000 is for. I personally have grown to love QuickBooks online for my accounting. I've found that it's really like clear and easy after I got over the initial hump that I shouldn't just use a spreadsheet for my accounting, um, especially as someone who's like running more of a, a six-figure business, a multiple six-figure business, and like just wanting everything to be in one place. So it can easily be sent over at the end of the year to my accountant. What type of growth do you like to see for your clients year over year? Like what, how, how can we think about that type of growth if we want healthy growth? And I guess, how do you advise your clients around thinking about the growth of their business? I would say like the growth of your business, being able to know that like one, your overall income is, is increasing, but then like your profitability is there. And when I say profitability, I mean like you being able to know tangibly in your your business accounts, like, you know, I have business reserves. I can, if if I wanted to take off in my business, I could do that without being really stressed about, about income. If, you know, something, I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but but if the entire world shut down again, right? And there's there's the pivots that happen naturally with that, that like I have reserves to start sustaining my business. But I, I would say definitely I look at it very much so from a, a saving standpoint. And do you have, you know, a month of expenses, not only to pay for your expenses, but also to pay yourself or pay your team. And so then it's, at, you know, after a month, two months, three months, and eventually 
you'd probably want at least a year of income within your business to think about like, we are a profitable business that's able to take care of itself financially. So let's say I've been listening to this discussion and I haven't been serious about money or budgeting in the past, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's time. What are some first steps that you would recommend so that we don't bite off more than we can chew and give up, but we can actually make some progress? Yeah. Um, earlier I was saying, make sure that your personal and your business finances are separated. Then I would tell you another great step you could do is like, pull your numbers for the last 12 months and actually look at your revenue and see what do you make on average per month. Then after you figure out how much you make on average, being able to actually sit down and see how much does it cost to run your business per month. If you go into QuickBooks, you could easily pull that or you could also take a stab at just making a budget for your business. So you can see like, the average amount of money that you make per month, what percentage of that are you actually using towards business expenses? I generally would say, especially for your audience, that like it shouldn't be probably more than 30% of your overall revenue per month that you are using towards your business expenses. So I think that could be just a great place for you to start because then you could work on getting some of your expenses down if need be. If it's not at 30% yet, you could also think about like, how do I want to use that other percentage to support my business and do some of those things that we talked about earlier in the podcast? Like maybe you want to invest in a team or you want to invest in your own professional development and growth. And just to be clear, you're not including what we're paying ourselves as one of those expenses, right? That's no. separate from business yes. expenses. Okay. Uh, I want to uh, shift gears here and talk a little bit about your time management, um, just because it's, it's always curious how other business owners uh, manage their time. What does a typical day or, you know, if easier, just a week look like? How are you managing your time well in your business today? Um, that's a really good question because I don't feel like I'm the best at time management. I'm just nosy. <laughs> so even if you're not doing it well, I just want to hear about it. Mainly because it's just me and I play every department in my business. So I currently, my client days are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I'm like, those are when I meet one-to-one with clients. And then I have Mondays and Fridays kind of like as admin days, or that's when I actually do consults for new clients and, and when I'm doing content creation. I, I mean, my typical day is like usually about nine to four. And I would say on Fridays, that's questionable. I probably end about 12. But yeah, like it's, I would say I'm always open to experimenting with my calendar. I'm able to talk to you today because like today is actually one of my like CEO days that I have started to institute into my schedule more intentionally. So, you know, all those things that come up for you while you may be working with a client where you're like, oh, I should change this or I should, you know, put time in my calendar to think about this. I am creating a more predictable structure where I at least have, you know, two or three days a month that I can, that may be on a typical client day where I can just focus and be in my business and, and get my juices flowing. And what's, what's coming up for you next? What are you excited about? What's happening in your business? I mean, I feel like my business is pretty much on autopilot right now. I am just living in my one-to-one coaching space. I'm working on a webinar for, you know, my audience just to help them understand that money is easy and money is simple and actually building out my podcast. And then sometime later this year, I'm going to go into group coaching. 
Awesome. If somebody is listening, thinking, okay, I want to check out that webinar, or I want to be on your email list, Kina, or even the future group coaching programs, where should they go and what do they need to do? Yeah, I would say follow me um, on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at Wealth Over Now. All right. Thank you so much, Kina, for sharing all your insights with us today. This definitely was a conversation I need. There's a lot of improvement in this area for me. So uh, thanks for being here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kina. There were a ton of notable things that Kina mentioned in the rest of this interview too. So I'm going to let you kick this part off, Kara, with the biggest takeaways that you had from the last half of this interview. I would love to kick this off because this is the part of the interview where I feel like it got it was more actionable for me and I was able to think through, okay, some of this feels overwhelming, but what can I do today? And so um, Kina made a recommendation to just look through look through your monthly subscriptions. What are you paying for on a monthly basis? What do you need? What can you cut? And that, you know, that is something I already know I should be doing, but I don't always do it. So after this interview, I did do that. I went through my monthly um, invoices and I did actually cut out some of my subscriptions that I wasn't using that are just, you know, it's like $20 a month here, $40 a month here. Sometimes it's a hundred dollars a month. And so just being really smart about, um, everything you're you're currently investing in especially because our businesses are so nimble and what we needed last month we may not need next month and so um, that's normal and so being able to keep up with it that was a huge win for me to to do that in my own business yeah it was interesting when kina was talking about the three questions keep cancel revisit it kind of reminds me of the way that we deal with tasks uh you know with time management whatever we talk about you know what needs to be dealt with now what needs to be delegated to somebody else or what needs to be you know thrown away forgotten or saved for the future and she's really taking the same approach to our budgets you know what are the things that we need to keep in the budget that are important that are moving us forward and helping us accomplish things what are the things that have outlived their usefulness and we really should be canceling them stop paying for them or finding something else to replace them with and then there are some money decisions that we're not ready to make right now and we want to revisit so maybe you're not ready to hire a team member maybe you don't have the money for it or you don't have enough work for it but you may want to revisit that in three months or in six months or in a year from now and so it's a, a it's kind of a cool framework for just thinking about a lot of things in business, but especially money, keep, cancel, revisit. Yes, I love that. And I also like that we talked about money dates. Kina mentioned, you know, money Monday or financial Friday, you can have one or the other. And so that is something that Rob, I would love for us to do because I know we have our monthly financial meeting for our business. And I was just thinking, you know, why, why not add something that we can um, run through on Monday, Money Monday for our business, rather than focusing on it every month, what could we be more proactive if we do it weekly? So that's something that we could implement. Yeah, I think the money date is a fantastic idea. And when I saw that on her website, I'm like, okay, this is this is cool. I mean, it's maybe the kind of thing that you could have with a spouse or a partner, a business partner, if you have one, but even 
if you're on your own, checking in with yourself and, you know, making sure that, yep, you're where you thought you were or where you thought you would be when the month started or your allocations are still working for you. Or, you know, when I was asking about, you know, or, or talking about my issues with sticking with budgets and how sometimes the categories uh, are really inflexible and, you know, having this money date with yourself and saying, okay, I need to move some money from my entertainment budget into my food budget, or we need to move some money from this planned expenditure in a business in order to help cover the help that we're getting from, you know, this other person that came into the business this month. Those kinds of things, I think, make a lot of sense. And too often, we we only think about money when we're doing our taxes at the end of the year. It's like, oh, Ah, I'm surprised I actually made more money than I thought I, or, I, or I didn't make as much as I was expecting or I wish I'd put away more money for taxes. Uh, and, and because we wait once a year to do that, it becomes really stressful. And so, like you said, maybe dealing with it every Monday, every Friday, every other whatever, uh, at least once a month is a really smart move. Yeah. And we've talked so much about CEO days on this podcast. So, you know, could you pull in uh, 20 minutes into your, if you have two hours blocked for your CEO time on a Monday, could you dedicate 20 minutes of that to focus on money and have some structure? And Kina gave us a lot of suggestions in this podcast. Or maybe if you only have an hour blocked for CEO time, which is great, it's better than nothing, then you give yourself 10 minutes just to ask a couple questions, check your budget, um, check your numbers. That seems like that could be a great win in addition to the CEO day. Yeah, I really appreciated too what she was saying about budgets and the the a flexible approach that she brings to it. I think it's really important to look back at what you've been spending, say, the last three to six months on particular categories, but then also giving yourself flexibility to say, in the future, I can spend less here or I can spend more here, or if a need comes up, it's so easy to be unrealistic when it comes to our budgets and think, oh, I'm not going to spend money on that, or I'm going to have plenty of money for something else. Else. And when we do that, we set ourselves up for failure. She made it really clear that, you know, if, if uh, we fail and we don't, you know, get better at that, then, you know, it becomes a struggle to do the budgets. And so identifying the patterns, the habits, the things that uh, we do with money, and then being proactive about using that information to make smart decisions about the future is really what budgeting is all about. It's less about we've got X number of dollars in this category and more about how do we use this as a tool to help us grow. And, you know, as we were wrapping up the conversation, we just talked about conversations. How do we have better conversations about money um, in our lives with, you know, with partners, um, friends, colleagues. And so I, I like this part of the discussion and what stuck out to me was that we, we don't need to just talk about money when it, we're frustrated. And that's, I mean, we've already alluded to that in this conversation um, that we just, you know, we'll jump in once a year and run through the, all the finances at tax time. But even just conversationally, could we talk about money when we're not stressed out about money? Um, could we talk about it more frequently when it feels exciting and it feels positive and it feels like there's some hope there and we can talk about dreaming really big. It almost, for me personally, feels like I don't always allow myself to go there. 
because it doesn't seem realistic um, or it doesn't seem practical and useful. It seems practical and useful to talk about money when there's a struggle and it's like, well, let's fix this. But I think Kina gave us the permission to just actually to focus on it more frequently and to talk about it in such a positive way when we're feeling good and business is going well and we can dream bigger and have a positive conversation about it. So it doesn't become this negative thing and something that we want to avoid. Um, so that's something that I would like to do more of. Yeah, I, I think that's just so important because so many of us, as we were saying earlier, come to money with all of these preconceived notions, these stories that we tell us, you know, ourselves. Maybe we heard our parents arguing about money when we were kids. Maybe money wasn't abundant. And so we have scarcity ideas around money and, and how available will become. And there are the realities too. There are there are a lot of us who are really struggling to make money. We haven't connected with the right clients yet. We haven't figured out how to talk about our businesses in ways that attract people, higher paying clients, higher paying projects. And so money is not just a, a story that we're telling ourselves about the struggle, but there is sometimes a real struggle going on until we can figure out some of that stuff and live a better story, not just tell ourselves a better story, but live a better story around money. And so just being aware of that, being able to sometimes set some of that negative aside, like you're saying, and, and frame it positively, um, you know, remove the judgment of ourselves, our inabilities, the struggles, the failures that we've had around it and talk positively about it. Think about it positively, I think is the real first step as we start to do better with money in our own businesses. Before we wrap, we wanted to give a shout out to Brain FM. We interviewed Dan Clark from Brain FM on the podcast a little while ago. It was episode 275, and we discovered how helpful this tool is for getting things done by improving our focus. Whether you're trying to focus on setting your budget or on writing a copy project or even just thinking really strategically about your business on a CEO day, Brain FM could help. You can test Brain FM yourself for free for one month by using the link in our show notes. And I gotta admit, I'm a total fan when it comes to Brain FM. It really does help me focus. Whether whether the science is real or it's a placebo, it doesn't matter because it helps me get stuff done. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro is composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you like this episode or any of the other Copywriter Club podcast episodes that you've listened to, will you please do us a favor? Take a moment now to leave a review at Apple Podcasts to let us know that it's made a difference in your business. Want to listen to another conversation around money and finances? Of course. Tune into episode 110 with Colleen Arneal about money mindset. And if you want to light a fire under your business with the support of an intimate community and mentors, head over to copywriterthinktank.com for more information. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.